Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Quick heads up, this episode contains a few unbleeped swears. We are standing here. It's 8.05 in the morning. Procession to begin. Waiting for the procession. We're in the College of Arts and Sciences, and we're at the back of the line. We had to wake up at 6.30 in the morning to be here. This is Joya Putnoy, about to graduate from the University of Vermont. Um, And I am waiting for the waterworks to start. I'm definitely feeling emotional. My family's here. And yeah. Looking forward to kind of seeing everyone lined up on the green together. Be back soon. Joy is a newsroom intern at Vermont Public, and she spent most of her senior year with us. She's gotten pretty good at balancing life as a journalist with life as a student. Right through the end, when she agreed to record a few moments from her big weekend. So the first uh, initial ceremony just happened, and it lasted for two and a half hours. Um, it was definitely very challenging to kind of sit through that um, in anticipation of everything that this day has to hold within it. Um, congratulations! Um, it's about to pour, so that is feeling really exciting, and it's definitely a little bit stressful around the edges today. First off, Joya, congrats on your graduation. But here on Brave Little State, I should say that we're not only here to honor Joya today. Angela. Hello, Josh. That's right. This is something of a brave little experiment. Here on the show, we usually answer questions about Vermont and our region that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience. But today, in honor of graduation season, we've decided to feature local stories that have all been made by students. Each story you'll hear today was made by a graduating senior as part of a journalism or podcasting class. And each one relates in a different way to this episode's theme, change. Like a historic corner store entering into a new era. It's going to be really sad when it's gone. And a gender transition. The things that are happening have not been noticeable to anybody but me yet. And getting a tattoo. We're going to go get a tattoo today. (laughs) Oh my god. Each of these stories evokes a mixture of excitement and nostalgia and uncertainty. Emotions familiar during any type of change or transition, and especially so right now, to graduating seniors like Joya. It's just, it's such a weepy time and the emotions are definitely running high. Obviously, the question that we're primed to ask graduates is, what are you doing next? Uh, What are your plans? I feel protective over celebrating the right now and not wanting to delve into what the future could be. Without further ado, this is Brave Little State Student Takeover Edition. We're a proud member of the NPR Network. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. 
Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. The first story we want to share was made by Emma Ginsberg, and it's called August Unspecified. I'm trying to tone it down for this interview, but it, my natural voice is like this. That voice is my best friend, August Kaskowski. They don't actually talk like that most of the time, but who knows how their voice will change in the weeks ahead. Sort of between a prospector and an old-timey radio broadcaster. Gus just started testosterone hormone therapy as part of their gender transition. It's weird. I started non-binary and then went trans men and then went back to non-binary. And now I'm still non-binary, but I'm like, hmm, being a man doesn't seem too bad. (laughs) They've wanted to take this step in their transition for a long time. The first time I made sort of any body modifications to myself was my sophomore year of high school when I was in a production of Romeo and Juliet, which gave me a really, really good excuse to do some shit I'd been wanting to do anyway. I got my hair cut short and I was like, it'll grow back, it's for the role. It took eight years of waiting through school and a month suffering the slings and arrows of appointment scheduling bureaucracy. And then of course the actual process of getting prescribed tea was very easy and pleasant because the clinician at Planned Parenthood is an awesome professional who is very kind and has seen a lot of trans people before. It did, I will say, in order to expedite the process of getting hormones, you have to have some form of diagnosis, which means there is a medical record out there with my name on it that says August Guskowski. Diagnosis, gender identity disorder, parentheses, unspecified. But eventually, August Guskowski, unspecified, finally got what they needed. A tube of testosterone gel to kick off 2023. So when you finally got that dose after all of that and you put it on for the first time, what did you feel in that moment? Slimy. It's like if rubbing alcohol and insulin had a baby, and it it grosses me out every time. I hate the way it smells. But after it absorbed into my shoulder, I just sort of looked in the mirror for a second and went, holy shit. Holy shit. I am on testosterone. And then I went back to bed because it was 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Gus decided to start on a smaller dose of testosterone than most. They wanted to ease into the changes slowly. But now, they kind of wish they could speed things up. The things that are happening have not been noticeable to anybody but me yet. Mostly it's just that I smell a little different and I've been sweatier and my period is kind of irregular. And that's it? And I want visible shit to start happening to me. I want weird backne. Like, the stuff that's considered bad, I want it to start happening just so I have something to show to the world and be like, look, I'm doing this, it's working, can you please see me the way I want to be seen now? Gus needs change. Something they can see right now. I figured, you can't grow a mustache on demand, but you can change your clothes today. Maybe a wardrobe refresh will get the wheels turning. Dump it, dump it, dump it. There we go. That's an empty hamper. The goal is to sort through Gus's clothes and take all of the old stuff to our local thrift store. The clothes we keep have to fit two criteria. The first, to make the cut, the article must fit Gus's ideal gender presentation, which is... If I time-traveled back to, like, the 1890s, 
I want everyone who sees me to go, oh, what a nice young man. The second criteria, the article must accommodate Gus's body as it changes on testosterone. There are several pairs of pants here that I am keeping because these are linen dress pants, which are about the only thing I can wear to work when it's hot out that meet the don't sweat to death requirement. Sweating is a big deal for Gus. They usually run pretty cold. But now? Like in the afternoons after I eat, sometimes I'll just get very warm and flushed. And that never used to happen. I'm too warm and it's awesome. Despite the hot flashes, Gus gets rid of most of the weird little shorts in the pile. They won't fit soon. That's, I think most of the rest of this stuff is going to stay with me, except not this pair of jeans, um, which is very sad, actually. These used to be my mom's, uh, and they don't fit her anymore, so she passed them down to me, and they're not going to fit me soon either. They're already not a great fit, and... Once my body fat starts shifting itself around, uh, there's going to be too much in the, in the stomach area for me to even get these on and zipped. Still, Gus just sits on the floor holding these jeans for a little while. She'll buy clothes that she herself would never wear. Like, never in a million years. But she'll pretend she's buying them for herself because we're about the same size. And then she'll be like, oh, this didn't fit me right. Or, you know, I didn't like the way it looks on me. Like, do you want it? Because otherwise I'm just going to have to return it. And, of course, every time I'm like, yes, I want it because she knows how I dress. Gus and their mom haven't always had the easiest relationship. But they had that. No conditional love is ever going to replace unconditional love. But the older I get, the better I get at recognizing when she was expressing it. And it's hard to want to say, like... I'm getting rid of that forever. And the jeans for you are part of that. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to keep them. You can keep them. I'm probably going to keep them. Just last week, Gus's mom said she was thinking of buying a necktie for herself. She doesn't wear ties. But Gus does. That was Emma Ginsberg with August Unspecified. Emma's graduating from Dartmouth College in just a few days, and Emma tells us that Gus, who graduated last year in 2022, is about to start their master's in library school at the University of Washington. Our next story comes from a high school senior, Addie Lilly. Many of her childhood memories involve helping her grandfather, Douglas Lilly, on his dairy farm. Here's Addie and Douglas. So you said that you don't know the year you started farming, but what do you remember, like... Those first few years, like, how old were you? Probably 25, 26. Decided I wanted to milk cows. So I built a barn. And my brother and relatives helped me weekends. And I'd work on it by myself during the week. And I went out and bought 25 wretched Holsteins. 25. Nice ones, they were. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how I got started, I guess. It was in my genes. Mm-hmm. You know, my f- grandfather was a farmer. My dad was a farmer. And then I came to become a farmer, and it was just something that was there, you know? What would you say was the hardest part about farming? Chores every day. 
seven days a week, no time off. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest, you know. Family would have Christmas off somewhere, you know. Somewhere, and everybody would go to Christmas. And I had to leave, come back and milk. Or a birthday party, you couldn't go. You know, they had it, and you'd have to leave and come home and milk. What would you say your favorite part about living in East Callis is? Uh, the farm I'm on is probably one of the nicest farms in town. It is the nicest farm in town, just because of the land. Mm-hmm. Flat. Mm-hmm. You know, you go over back, you know, when you spread coming in that field? Yeah. That, how, that big field is so flat. Yeah. And the one over there is full of flat. Most of them around here and everywhere, up and down and full of rocks. And, you know, that was the nicest piece of farmland in the town of Callis and probably maybe East Montpelier, Marshfield, Cal- it is. And, but it's so hard to keep it today. Mm-hmm. My taxes are almost $22,000 a year. So it's hard to survive today by milk. You know, we had to give up milking cows. I mean, you know, I couldn't do that anymore. Right. My, my body's all worn out, both arms, my legs, my knees, my hips, getting up, climbing down tractors, jumping off, going up the pit and going out, driving cows down. You know, every single day, every day. This ain't just when you feel like it. Yeah. Huh? Right. It could be snowing, it could be 30 below. You still gotta go. Would you say that dairy farming is kind of like a dying art in Vermont? I, yeah, unless you're big. You gotta be bigger. A big Keep farm. Big farm. You gotta milk, you know, 15, 2,000 cows, 3,000 wow. cows. You can't be milking 50 cows like I did. Yeah, there's no room like for small when, local farmers. When I was a kid, there's 50 farms in that town when I was a kid. And I was the last farm to go out of business in that town. And there's no farms in that town at all. And once they're gone, they're gone. They can't come back. Yeah. And all those nice farms, uh, you know, the, the uh, out-of-staters and other people who just build houses in there, houses after houses, you know? That's kind of a shame because, you know, dairy farmers have been the backbone of Vermont. Yeah, they're the backbone of the callus. And I go to town meeting, and I just, people don't care anymore, you know? Yeah. Not a problem like that. So as you know, I am in the process of applying to colleges right now. Yeah. And one of the supplementals that I wrote for my school is about the farm and coming up to visit you on the farm. So before we end, I wanted to read to you the um, supplemental that I wrote. Okay. I get dressed quickly and hop in my dad's truck, taking the hour ride to my grandpa's farm in East Callis. Every year since I can remember, I spent weeks on end at my family's dairy farm, haying fields, milking cows, and collecting chicken eggs are just some of the many responsibilities I thoroughly enjoyed taking a part in. Unlike anything else in my life, this was labor-intensive work from sunup till sundown, except for the occasional jelly donut break. I was helping my dad or grandpa with some chores that needed to be done. Farming has shown me what untouched nature truly looks like. Clear blue skies touching tall sloping green mountains and golden fields of hay for as far as the eye can see. My favorite memory was taking the English setters and yellow and black Labrador retrievers that my grandpa raises for long rocks in the woods behind his house. 
Filled with fungi and rushing streams, I love spotting birds I recognized and wildflowers whose colors flash brightly against the green and brown of the forest floor. Being a product of the farming community has defined how I view the world, giving me perspective and values that I wouldn't have gained otherwise. Knowing the beauty of nature and the hard work of local farmers, my family's history flows through everything I do. My grandfather has given me perseverance and determination while keeping me humble and appreciative of the world we live in. I intend to take these attributes with me throughout life, hopefully, hopefully inspiring others to appreciate and cultivate our planet. Good. I love that. <laughs> you don't want me to cry. <laughs> I remember when you were up there laying in the, in the, in the, in the hay, the bale hay, Mm-hmm. This long, watching us wrap hay, mm-hmm. you know, not making a peep. Well, thank you for letting me interview you. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I give you any good stuff or not. Oh, you definitely did. Huh? <laughs> said you definitely did. Lots of good stuff. That was Addie Lilly talking to her grandfather, Douglas Lilly. Addie is about to graduate from Harvard Union High School. Next year, she'll be studying political science and English at Wellesley College. We'll be right back. Our next story is about a historic corner store in Winooski, Chick's Market. The shop opened in the 1940s, and since then, it's been a neighborhood fixture where you can find big sandwiches and friendly conversation. When the market was put up for sale this spring, Winooski residents were worried about the upheaval of their beloved deli. Here's Samantha Watson. When you walk into Chick's Market on the corner of Riverside and Hickok Streets in Winooski, you'll see bags of chips and detergent on shelves, gallons of milk and sodas behind tall coolers, a deli counter, and a kitchen griddle. There you go, honey. Sorry about that, way. My name is Pamela Vizina, and I'm the owner of Chick's Market. Pam started working at Chick's in 1985. At the time, the store was owned by Dick and Carol Corbier. They were family of the original Edmund Chick DuPont, who founded the corner store in 1944. In 1999, when the Corbiers were looking to retire, they helped Pam buy the market, allowing her to pay in installments over the next five years. Now, she's been behind the counter for almost four decades, a constant presence in a changing neighborhood. You know, I really love this store, and I love everybody that comes to my store. But now, it's time to retire. Pam says it's hard to leave. From the beginning, it's always been about her customers. She'll listen to anyone who needs to talk. She puts food out on the stoop for stray cats and keeps a box of treats behind the counter for dogs. She's watched children grow up, move away, come back, and have kids of their own. She tells a story about a boy she knew who grew up down on Elm Street and really wanted a lollipop one day. And he was only four, and he walked way up here to the store in his cowboy boots and underwear. <laughs> and he sat here, and of course, first thing his mom did was call here, because she knew that he was going to be here with me. Sure enough. <laughs> he's so, now he comes here, and he's all grown up, and if I mention it, he turns all red. <laughs> Thank you. Chick's Market is known for its grinders, monster sandwiches you can make two meals out of. Popular menu items include the steak and cheese grinder or the breakfast sandwich that's served all day. Sunny, Pam's husband and co-owner of the market, hand peels 50 pounds of potatoes each night to make the next day's side of fries. 
He says it takes him two hours. Chicks is the kind of place you come to for a sandwich, a lottery ticket, toilet paper, but you get a lot more than that. It's the kind of place where you are known, where your family is asked after, where there's someone behind the counter who wants to know the true answer when she asks, how are you today? Diane, she's oh, been a customer for a long life. time. Yeah? Whoever, I'm gonna, I think, maybe I'll buy it. <laughs> Diane Dezo grew up around the corner from the store and has been coming to Chicks since the late 60s when she was a little girl. She talks about getting ice cream here as a teenager and later candy with her children. Sodas when I was a kid. Yeah, this is all the same right here. These are all the same coolers. Yeah. Today, she stopped into place an order of five grinders. So she got a whole turkey, another whole turkey. Yeah. Oh, she got five sandwiches. Yeah, I got one for Jessica. Two whole hams. This morning, Megan Johnson is behind the deli counter. She practically grew up at Chicks. Her mom has been an employee here for over 20 years. Megan says Pam is like a grandmother to her. Pam uh, took my whole family in when we were... We moved next door to Pam, and we met Pam, and since then, we've just been this big family. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be really sad when it's gone. Earlier this year, Pam and Sonny put the business and building up for sale. Pam says after all these years, it's time to rest. They say they are looking for a buyer who will continue to run the business. But customers say it's the person behind the counter that they'll miss. You know, I'm a people person. And I've been here for them if they need somebody to talk to, you know. Some of them are young children that are lost. So if they need to talk, I let them talk, you know. Even even grown-ups, you know, they've been through hell and back, and they need somebody to talk with, so I talk with them. Pam says she serves everyone, sometimes giving out a sandwich or letting people run a tab they can pay off later. She says she's witnessed mental health crises and drug problems in the shop and has learned the best strategy is to talk people through it. Spend a morning at Chicks and you'll find that conversation, in all its forms, is a part of its backbone. It doesn't always have to be a sad story. (laughs) I like funny. We like laughters. Samantha Watson. Sam recently graduated from the University of Vermont Meanwhile, Chick's Market has now been sold to new ownership. Sam says it will officially change hands next week on June 16th, and that the new owners plan to keep it running as it is, under the same name. Pam, the former owner, says she plans to relax and undergo her much-needed foot surgeries. And this week, everyone from the neighborhood is throwing her and Sunny a farewell party in the market. We have one more story to share today. Not to bury the lead, it's called So I Got a Tattoo. Here's Bree Glover. A few nights ago, my friends and I went to dinner in White River Junction. I've spent a lot of time here over my five years as a resident of the Upper Valley. But this time, something new catches my eye. I see this huge clown. It's on a sign that says tattoos. I've been trying to figure out what to do a story on for my podcasting class, and I'm I'm kind of running out of time to figure it out. Suddenly, it hits me. What if I got a tattoo tomorrow? And what if I recorded it? I have one tattoo that I got about a year ago. They say once you get one, it's over. And I won't lie, after I came home from getting my first one, I felt like I needed more. 
I would get more, but mostly I'm just terrified of tattoo parlors. Once I convinced my friend to book an appointment with me. Needless to say, she walked out with two and I walked out with my tail between my legs. Today, I'm feeling brave. So I send an email titled, Time Sensitive, Request for a Class in Potential Tattoo Appointment. I guess I'm really doing this. We're going to go get a tattoo today. (laughs) Oh my God. The next thing I know, I'm en route. When I arrive, I contemplate my decision, but eventually I give myself a pep talk and enter the store. Did you say someone has a walk-in time? Like today? What time do you have? Like for the rest of the day. Oh, cool. I'm like, maybe I should get something. I think it would be fun to record it. If if you're okay with it. I walk in terrified and leave with two fresh tattoos and a great story to tell. All right. Ready? Over the past decade, White River has experienced a major downtown revitalization. Standard Company Tattoo, home of the giant clown sign, is part of that revitalization. It opened about two years ago, and it's across the street from the Tip Top Media and Arts Building, a hub for creatives in the Upper Valley. There's a a kind of class and generation of business owners that I'm a part of that maybe started fruiting six, seven years ago. That's Brian Barthelmas, owner of Standard Company Tattoo. Brian plays a key role in White River's arts community. To paint you a picture, Brian is a six foot eight former offensive lineman for the New England Patriots. He's covered in tattoos, has hair down to his shoulders, and a huge bushy beard. He's the type of person whose voice and booming laugh are the first thing you notice when you walk into the room. So as a kid, I, I started drawing a lot um, my whole life, but I have anxiety. Everyone does, but I have a large amount of anxiety. And so when I would start feeling it, my mother would give me a pen and paper. Brian wanted to get out of rural Ohio, and he did, with a football scholarship to the University of Virginia. In college, he taught himself how to play the banjo. He secretly made art and music. I I never felt quite comfortable in any one place, right? To be an athlete and also an emotional artist. When I was around other athletes, I felt like I had to uh, suppress that. And when I was in art world, I didn't want anyone to know I was an athlete, right? My whole life felt like this um, juxtaposing force against itself. After graduating, Brian wasn't sure what he wanted to do. So like many graduates, he took the quote unquote safe career. You know, that first job you don't love, but you do it because you don't know what else to do. For him, that meant signing on with the New England Patriots. After a few years, he decided it was time for a career change. And so when I stopped playing football as an occupation, uh, I was playing music, met some friends. We end up playing together. We start a band. I don't know that the intentions are anything other than collective group therapy, but... The music you're listening to right now, that's Brian's band, Tallahassee. He's the lead singer. Brian says in addition to music, he's always loved the art of tattooing. The tattoo is an outcome of a moment between the tattooer 
and the person receiving a tattoo. So, you know, unlike a painting where you can squirrel down in your basement and not talk to anyone while you conceive it, the entire art form is like at least 50% reflective of the person who's involved became the idea for the shop. Their first location was in West Lebanon. But after the first year, it was clear that the community he had built outgrew the small space. And the idea of the shop, the way that we run it, is that it's a big plant and we needed a bigger pot for it. We stuck it in there. And now everyone who works here and loves it, they kind of see a different end of it to prune. Brian doesn't take himself or his tattoos too seriously. He likes to use his body as a canvas to teach other people. I have a whole upper side of my leg where I also let my friends tattoo me who don't know how. So like I make sure it's clean and like set up proper and then watching my friends kind of panic as they make terrible things on my leg is (laughs) one of my favorite pastimes. Brian and his wife have two twins who love to hang out the shop. Once, with the help of his kids, Brian tattooed their art on his legs right there and right then. They were about three at the time. Anytime my kids are loving and doing something I love, it makes me real happy. So those tattoos were really fun. It was like watching these little mini humans, like, seeing it and wiping it, being like, wow, you know, I like, I love that. Brian says that no matter how large the community he's cultivated grows, it will always be rooted in curiosity and acceptance. This is something he hopes to pass on to his kids and also to the next generation of White River artists. Unlike a lot of other tattoo shops I've been in, Standard Company Tattoo just felt extremely welcoming. And as for the new tattoos I got... Cool, check those out. Cool, please. Awesome. That's exactly what I wanted. Thank you so much. Of course. In White River Junction, I'm Brie Glover. Brie told us she got two small tattoos for this story. One is the number of the house she lived in during college, and the other is a cloud. Brie's graduating from Dartmouth College in a few days, and she's not sure yet what her next move will be. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And a big thanks and good luck to the students whose work we shared today. That's Emma Ginsberg, Samantha Watson, Bree Glover, and Addie Lilly. Also, thanks to their schools and universities for supporting audio journalism. The stories you heard today came from the University of Vermont, Dartmouth College, and Harwood Union High School. And their teachers include some of our colleagues here at Vermont Public. Brittany Patterson leads a class for UVM's Community News Service. Kevin Trevelin and Anna Van Dyne worked with students from Harwood Union to document experiences from their senior year. And finally, thanks to Sophie Crane and her nonfiction radio and podcasting class at Dartmouth College. Full disclosure, Sophie is also married to you, Josh. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) To see photos for the stories we shared today, head to our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can ask a question about Vermont and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. We're also on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. This episode was produced by me, Josh Crane. With editing and additional production from me, Angela Evansy, and the rest of the Brave Little State team, Myra Flynn, and our intern, May Nagusky, who also happens to be a student. She's a rising senior at UVM. 
Music today by Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, and the band Tallahassee. And our show gets lots of help from colleagues behind the scenes. So we also want to shout out Francesca Orsini for teaching us how to make the BLS newsletter look extra fancy. Thank you, Francesca. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public and a proud member of the NPR Network. If you like our show, you can make a gift at bravelittlestate.org donate. Also, please leave us a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. If you do, we might even read it on the show. Like this one from Susie Go Blue, who says, Interesting stories done in a pleasant manner. I learned a lot. Time well spent. Thank you, Susie Go Blue, for the exceedingly pleasant review. I'm Angela Evansy. And I'm Josh Crane. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.